Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Biden today calling for a gas tax holiday, but it comes after blowback from Republicans and even from his own allies. Is it going to happen and how much of an impact will it have on Americans? In Arkansas, a federal appeals court rules that a newspaper must sign a pledge that it will not boycott Israel if it wants to do business with the state. A recent study shows that over 94% of medication is not supported by high-quality evidence. What does this mean for patients? We investigate. The death toll continues to climb from the powerful earthquake in Afghanistan. The impacted regions are very remote, making rescue efforts extremely difficult. Health officials in the UK are on the alert about polio viruses found in London's sewage system. What does this mean for the public? And an unexpected update from the NFL. Former player and commentator so Tony Siragusa dead at 55. We'll give you the details. President Biden officially backs a gas tax holiday. What does he say it will do and what's its fate going forward amid skepticism from even his own allies? NTD's Iris Tao has more. As Americans suffer at the pump, President Biden is calling for suspending the federal gas tax. I fully understand that a gas tax holiday alone is not going to fix the problem, but it will provide families some immediate relief the federal tax is currently 18 cents a gallon, and Biden is asking lawmakers to pass a three-month pause on it. He's also urging states to remove their own gas taxes while asking oil companies to pass their savings on to customers. I call on the companies to pass this along every penny of this 18-cent reduction to the consumers. This is, there's no time now for profiteering. But Biden's idea is unlikely to pass in Congress. Republicans widely oppose lifting the gas tax, with the Senate leader on Wednesday calling it another ineffective stunt to mask the effects of Democrats' war on affordable American energy. And others saying it won't solve the problem. We have a supply problem that needs to be dealt with if you want to get prices down. So it doesn't deal with the problem. And it has even faced blowback from Biden's own party. The oil companies do not necessarily pass that on to the consumer. In a Wednesday statement, House Speaker Nancy Pelosi wrote, we will see where the consensus lies on the tax break without explicitly supporting it. That's adding to the skepticism she expressed back in March. The pro is very showbiz. Okay, let's just do something. There it is. But it is not necessarily landing in the pocket of the consumer. The same question now being raised by other Democrats. I've seen other states do this. Well, I don't think the data reflects that the consumers benefit. Meanwhile, Biden said he's also looking into gas rebate cards, but that too faces an uncertain if not doomed fate in Congress amid concerns that it could worsen inflation. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Iris Tao, NTD News. And in Arkansas, a federal appeals court has affirmed a state law that requires contractors to sign a pledge not to boycott Israel. The court said the requirement does not violate free speech. The Arkansas Times filed a lawsuit in 2019 to try to block the law. The lawsuit said that a state university refused to advertise with the Times unless the paper signed the pledge or lowered its fees by 20 percent as the law provided. The paper wasn't boycotting Israel, but it refused to sign the pledge and said it was unwilling to accept the 20% reduction in revenue. The 2017 law was enacted in response to a movement promoting boycotts of Israeli institutions and businesses because of the country's alleged treatment of Palestinians. State Attorney General Leslie Rutledge has said in a statement that the decision reinforced Arkansas's relationship with Israel and added that the Times is not allowed to discriminate. The ACLU, which represented the Times, said it plans to appeal to the U.S. Supreme Court. And a recent medical study by Oxford University has concluded that a high percentage of medications do not have high-quality evidence to support their benefits. NTD's Jason Perry spoke with a medical doctor to see how this affects patients. 
An April study by the University of Oxford examined over 1,500 medications that were approved under Cochrane Reviews from 2008 to 2021. Cochrane Reviews is a leading international journal and database that gathers evidence about treatments and healthcare policies. It's often referenced in international healthcare guidelines. What the study concluded is that less than 6% of medical drugs have high quality evidence to support their benefits. It means that the database that doctors use to evaluate treatments and prescribe medications is unreliable. That's the bottom line. And it's a very major problem. Dr. Richard Emmerling is the past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. And according to the website, the association is dedicated to preserving the sanctity of the patient-physician relationship. So it's really, it, it's, it's a major problem. Doctors have to use other sources of information to evaluate treatments, including, by the way, their personal experience and the experience of their colleagues. But even these evaluations may not be approved since the FDA may not authorize specific drugs for certain uses without randomized controlled clinical trials. An example he gave was when some doctors prescribed hydroxychloroquine to treat COVID. This was not just pulled out of thin air. There was a lot of data supporting its use in a viral infection, including from SARS-CoV-1. So it was not randomly chosen. And when you see patients respond, get better within a matter of days taking the drug, it's impressive. And you don't need a randomized controlled trial to validate, validate its use. But that is what the so-called authorities insisted upon. And it was impossible to have in the early stages of COVID. He said one of the root causes of some of the problems is the FDA's relationship with the pharmacy industry. They are way too close with industry. And you can see that playing out recently when the, there was a unanimous vote by this FDA vaccine committee to grant emergency use authorization for, for the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines for toddlers when there is zero evidence that these are safe and effective in that population. However, the FDA determined that the known and potential benefits of the Moderna and Pfizer COVID-19 vaccines outweigh the known and potential risk in the pediatric populations. Jason Perry, NTD News. Where are your savings going and what kind of future are they helping to create? In recent years, investment funds have been increasingly impacted by a rating system based on environmental, social and governance criteria known as ESG. But if you invest in a highly rated ESG fund, critics say you may not be creating the future you envisioned. Some describe it as a social credit score system, like the one used under China's dictatorship. The ESG system forces companies to comply with external criteria, equity, inclusion, green policies. Concern is rising around the content of the criteria too, whether the policies that are backed in the system categorically lead to better outcomes. Others question whether enforcing equity this way is also an attempt to promote communist values. Senator Tom Cotton on Tuesday called the ESG movement illegal corporate collusion to implement leftist policies. He said it's raising the cost of energy and jeopardizing national security. Even so, ESG's reach looks to be ramping up. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or SEC, put forward new pro-ESG rules and its climate disclosure proposal. And then, even if you want businesses to take on more progressive policies, recent revelations show some ESG funds may be misrepresenting and greenwashing their products to increase their score. Earlier today, I spoke with a prominent expert on ESGs. James Lindsay is the founder of New Discourses and a co-author of the book Cynical Theories. And he's here to shed some light on this topic. James, welcome. Hey, thrilled to be here. Now, regulation authorities have been cracking down on ESG funds and investigating them. To begin with, for our viewers, could you explain what are ESG funds? So ESG funds are funds, index funds, where there's, you know, passive investment, for example, your pension fund or mutual funds or something, where they are scored according to how compliant they are in environmental, social and governance 
measurements. So, you know, somebody has decided this is good environmental policy, this is good social responsibility policy, and this is good corporate governance policy, and supposedly that leads to long-term investment success. The problem is that, of course, the somebody who sets those up gets to choose the definitions for what counts as good environmental, social, or governance policy. And why has there been so much backlash against these ESG funds? Well, I mean, there's a number of reasons why. One is that they don't work, that they're, they're a scam. Uh, the people who are choosing what the, the relevant environmental, social, and governance scores are uh, have chosen them according to their ideological vision of the world rather than something that has anything to do with real investment or even real-world outcomes. I just saw, in fact, that despite massive amounts of increased ESG compliance demands over the past decade, that uh, nevertheless, greenhouse gas emissions are, again, at their highest they've ever been. They don't deliver. So they're actually a power grab that put a lot of constraints on companies that, that limit profitability, that destroy fiduciary responsibility and shareholder profit maximization in the name of achieving, say, Larry Fink's and Klaus Schwab's ideological goals in the world, which, in other words, is a form of corporate racketeering. How could the Biden administration SEC's climate disclosure proposal impact these ESG funds? Well, what it'll do is it'll force people to participate in them even more fully. So it's actually a top-down measure to make people participate in the racket or the scam. Uh, if you actually go and you read, for example, Klaus Schwab, the, the executive chairman of the World Economic Forum, published a book this year called The Great Narrative for a Better World, which is The Great Reset Book Two. And in that, he actually says that usually under a shareholder model of, of uh, market economies, that we don't like the idea of government intervention too much into how uh, you know investment works or how capitalism is going to run. But under this stakeholder model that he proposes, that's a necessity. And so there's going to be a public and private partnership, he calls it, between big governments, big foundations, and big industry to achieve the same social environmental and governance goals. So the SEC is just part and parcel with creating a top-down pressure uh, within the, the context of this racketeering scam that, that they are running under the brand name ESG. You've advocated for the creation of more anti-ESG businesses. Could you tell me more about that? Well, what there need to be is there needs to be a breakup of the monopoly. And so if index funds want to score according to ESG, and if business leaders want to use very narrow definitions of ESG, then what needs to happen is there needs to be a competition for what makes good environmental policy, what makes good social governance policy. It shouldn't be all contained in one very small location with a very small number of so-called stakeholders or expert stakeholders deciding what constitutes that policy. There needs to be also the ability to invest in companies that don't want to subscribe to that and let the, uh, the processes of success and failure of businesses decide which one of these different approaches actually works. Um, so when I say anti-ESG, I actually think that the way that it's operated now is a conspiracy and a racket, as I've said, that should be prosecuted under racketeering laws. Uh, but if we were going to look just to market solutions, we need a broader we need a broader scope of possible investment schemes because the way that it works currently is that the people who are operating the ESG tools like BlackRock, Vanguard, State Street, Fidelity, Goldman Sachs, the biggest investment firms in the world also own amongst them, not only each other, but controlling shares in virtually every major corporation. And so they have the constant threat of being able to say, sell off all of their shares in a company like Coca-Cola, if it doesn't play ball, possibly destroying the corporation. So Coca-Cola has a, has a gun to its head to participate. This isn't how a market economy operates. This isn't even a market economy any longer. And the worst part of it is, is that they're using other people's money because it's index funds, it's passive investing, it's your retirement fund, as a matter of fact, your pension that's being used to fund this. They're not even using their own money to leverage. They're using everybody else's money, which should be so illegal that it's beyond comprehension that it's been allowed to go on. James Lindsay, founder of New Discourses and co-author of Cynical Theories, thank you. Thank you. In Florida, Andrew Gillum, a former mayor and Governor Ron DeSantis' 2018 opponent, has been indicted for wire fraud and other charges. Gillum was a Democratic star who narrowly lost to DeSantis four years ago. A federal grand jury returned a 21-count indictment against Gillum and his mentor, Sharon Letman-Hicks. 
The pair allegedly raised funds from various entities and individuals between 2016 and 2019 under false pretenses. Some of the funds were then allegedly converted to a company account that Letman Hicks used for payroll payments to Gillum. Gillum and his lawyers said in a statement that he is innocent and that this case is political. He maintained a commitment to standing up for the people of Florida and said every campaign he has run has been done with integrity. NTD reached out to Letman Hicks but did not hear back by broadcast time. And in Afghanistan, the death toll from the powerful earthquake rises to at least 1,000. And over 1,000 people are injured. International agencies are rushing to bring relief to the victims, but they are facing major challenges. Here are the details. A powerful earthquake struck eastern Afghanistan near its border with Pakistan around 1.30 a.m. local time on Wednesday. The epicenter is in a remote mountainous region some 27 miles away from the nearest urban area. The U.N. Deputy Special Representative for Afghanistan says the quake could be felt strongly in the capital city of Kabul. Uh, a 5.9 magnitude earthquake struck uh, the central region of Afghanistan, impacting mostly Paktika and host provinces. Uh, what we gather now that the, the actual uh, depth of uh, the, the epicenter was uh, quite close to the surface. It probably no more than 10 kilometers. That's what we're told by the experts. This is the deadliest earthquake in Afghanistan since 2002. It posed a major test for the Taliban regime, which took over the country last August. Taliban officials are asking for international help. When such a big incident happens in any country, there is a need for help from other countries. It is very difficult for us to be able to respond to this huge incident. We ask from the international community to cooperate with us and continue their support. Rescuers are searching for survivors, and video footage shows helicopters airlifting victims out of the impacted areas. UN agencies and the Red Cross say humanitarian aid is on the way. But they are faced with significant challenges because the impacted areas are very remote and hard to access. The earthquake could also trigger landslides and other natural hazards. There's a lot of rain here in Afghanistan at the moment, so we've had landslides and, and there's a lot of mud. Um, and of course, because these areas that are affected are so rural and remote, there's no sophisticated equipment there to support the, um, the response effort. Afghanistan is already dealing with a severe economic crisis since the Taliban takeover. Many international aid agencies left the country after the takeover. Officials warn that the death toll may continue to rise. And in other international news, the UK is declaring a national incident over polio. Health authorities say they didn't identify any cases of polio, but that they found polio virus in London's sewage system. We normally pick up one to three detections of vaccine-like poliovirus a year. This is expected and due to recently vaccinated people coming into the country while they're shedding virus. Until now, each of these detections has disappeared by the next sample. The current situation is of concern because we first identified a vaccine-like poliovirus from a sewage sample collected from London Beckton in February this year, and then picked it up again in April, and it has persisted since then. The UK Health Security Agency says the poliovirus samples suggest that the virus may be spreading locally in northeast London. The health agency speculates that a few closely linked individuals living in the area may have been shedding the vaccine-derived poliovirus. Authorities say the risk to the public is extremely low. The majority of the British population is vaccinated against polio. The last case of polio in the UK was in 1984, and the World Health Organization declared the UK polio-free in 2003. And coming up, the Federal Reserve Chair today saying we could see a recession if they keep raising rates Yet they are committed to the fight against inflation. And trillions wiped out in retirement savings amid a rout in the stock market. If you're losing money in your 401k retirement plan, we have some tips for you. That and more after the break.
Navigating a world of economic madness, you need to have the right guide. What do today's decisions mean for your tomorrow? We ask why, what's the alternative? Uncover the deeper reasons and the hidden influences and highlight the real opportunities for profit. At Entity Business, we connect the dots for you. Good evening. Trump-endorsed Katie Britt won, wins Alabama's Senate primary runoff. And the results from Georgia's primary runoff and Virginia's primary are also in. NTD's reporter Jeremy Sandberg has more on the outcomes of Tuesday's elections. Katie Britt defeated incumbent six-term Congressman Mo Brooks in Alabama's GOP Senate primary runoff. Brooks, who ran on a Make America Great Again platform and called himself Mega Mo during his campaign, lost former President Donald Trump's endorsement in March after urging voters to focus on the future and put the 2020 election behind them. Britt, who is a former chief of staff for retiring Republican Senator Richard Shelby, received Trump's endorsement this month. Britt tallied around 60% of the vote. She will run against Democrat Will Boyd in November's general election. In Georgia's Republican House primary runoffs, Mark Gonsalves beat Michael Corbin for the 7th District nomination with 70% of the vote, and Chris West defeated Jeremy Hunt in a close race for the 2nd District. Mike Collins beat Trump-endorsed Vernon Jones in the 10th District, and in the 6th District, Rich McCormick presided over Trump-backed Jake Evans with roughly double the amount of votes. In Georgia's Democratic House primary runoffs, Tabitha Johnson-Green won District 10, and Wade Herring took District 1. In Virginia, Republican State Senator and Navy veteran Jen Kiggins won the House GOP primary for District 2 and will face incumbent Democratic Representative Elaine Luria. Yesley Vega won the Republican primary for District 7 and will challenge incumbent Representative Abigail Spanberger. Luria and Spanberger are seen as two of the most vulnerable Democratic House members in November's midterms. Democrat President Joe Biden's approval rating has been declining in recent polls, and with inflation and high gas prices on voters' minds, Republicans are hoping to win control of the House. They would need to flip only five Democratic seats to gain a majority, and it's possible they could also take control of the Senate. That would bring Biden's legislative agenda to a halt and give Republicans the power to launch investigations against him. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. The mayor of Uvalde, Texas, says the elementary school where 19 children and two teachers were gunned down last month will be demolished. It's my, my, my understanding, and, my, and I had this discussion with the, the superintendent, that school will be demolished. You can never ask a child to go back or a teacher to go back in that school ever. It comes as Mayor Don McLaughlin criticized those leading the investigation, saying he hasn't been briefed on how it's going. He also accused the Department of Public Safety of making misleading statements. And today, Fed Chair Jerome Powell in the hot seat again. The Senate wants to hear from him how the Fed is fighting inflation. In his opening remarks, Powell said the Fed, in his words, has both the tools and the resolve to restore price stability. But later in the hearing, he admitted that raising interest rates won't bring down prices for the two biggest categories, food and gas. Here's his exchange with Senator Elizabeth Warren. Chair Powell, will gas prices go down as a result of your interest rate increase? I would not think so, no. Okay. Um, and um, that matters because gas prices are one of the single biggest drivers of inflation. Chair Powell, will the Fed's interest rate increases bring food prices down for families? No, I, I wouldn't say so, no. The Fed is trying to slow the economy to bring down prices, but raising rates is a pretty blunt tool and could trigger a recession. Today, the Fed chair said it's not, not what they're trying to do, but certainly more rate hikes could lead to that. But he also says they are going to keep raising rates until there are clear signs inflation is slowing. And with the recent stock market decline, you could be losing money in your 401k account. 401 participants have lost about $1.4 trillion from their accounts since the end of 2021. 
IRAs have lost $2 trillion. That's according to the director of the Center for Retirement Research at Boston College. This comes amid a rut in the stock market. So far this year, the S&P 500 is down 21%, the Nasdaq down nearly 30%, and the Dow is down 16%. Americans are seeing the value of their retirement accounts follow the trend of the market drops. So if you are losing money in your 401k, what should you do? NTD's Don Moss speaks with Dan Geltrude for some tips. He's known as America's accountant. Dan, good to have you. So, you know, the stock market isn't doing very well this year. And amid this, reports are saying retirement plans have lost upwards of $3 trillion. So to start off, I guess, Dan, can you give us an overview of what your clients are experiencing right now? Sure. Well, when you have these drops in the market this year, the S&P 500 down over 20 percent, NASDAQ 30 percent, the Dow over 16 percent, everyone is going to feel that pain. So whether it's in retirement plans, whether it's in investment accounts or whether it's in those 529 plans for college. So what do you do? I'm telling my clients, you got to be patient. The one thing that you don't want to do is, is panic and sell. The whole concept of investing is buy low, sell high. Right now, you would be in the opposite position of where you may have bought high and sell low. So you got to stick with your investment strategy and the market will come back over time. You have to play for the long game here. Well, what if some people say, I want to retire right now? How long would they have to wait until their money's back? Well, that's the problem, right? You never really know what exactly the market is going to do. For most people, you, you would think, all right, time is on my side, except for when you're in retirement or close to retirement. So those situations get really tough. You have to look at what your available investments are or cash that you have perhaps on the sideline and make use of that because again what you have in those investments accounts which may be down right now you, you don't want to sell those unless you absolutely have to to live otherwise you gotta wait for it to come back you know people see their money is gone they're nervous right they don't know that their money is going to come back uh let's say in one or two years maybe they have to wait maybe five years right well, it's certainly possible, but if we look back at the, well, the crash back in 2008, right, things were looking pretty grim back then, and a lot of people did panic, and they, and they got out of their investments because they were trying to mitigate losses. Of course, over time, that ended up being the wrong move. So you never really know what the market is going to do. But history does show us if you can hang on, the market will come back. I mean, right now, the last couple of days, the market is up after taking a beating last week. I'm not saying that that's going to be the trajectory going forward every day. But certainly it is a, a chance for us to hope perhaps the worst is behind us. How much money are people losing? How serious is the, is the situation? Well, it is a serious situation. And, and when you're talking about a 401k plan, of course, that's for retirement. So people who have time for retirement, whether it's five or 10 years or more, there is no reason to panic at this point because the funds in there, well, let them have a chance to come back. And again, you're not going to be in danger until you start to withdraw those monies in terms of liquidating those investments and taking the money out. Although there is no tax impact for doing that, the, the play in 401k, sit tight. Dan Geltrude, America's Accountant Managing Director of Geltrude & Company. Appreciate you coming on. Thank you. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at eveningnews at ntd.com. And coming up, comedian Bill Cosby was found guilty once again, this time in a civil lawsuit. The allegation was emotional damage. We'll have the details on how much he has to pay up for past indiscretions. And in the NFL, former player and popular commentator Tony Siragusa has passed away. We detail the, his impact on the league and the 2000 Baltimore Ravens team. That and more coming up.
Bill Cosby was found guilty once again of sexual assault. The civil trial awarded the plaintiff half a million dollars for emotional damage. The case stems back to a meeting almost 50 years ago. Bill Cosby has been found liable for sexually assaulting a teenager at the Playboy Mansion in 1975. The jury awarded the plaintiff, Judy Huth, $500,000 in damages for emotional distress. She said the distress came from her memories of the assault being brought back to life after other women made similar allegations against Cosby. Huth testified that the comedian invited her and a friend to the Playboy Mansion when she was 16 and he was 37. She says that Cosby then forced her to perform lewd acts. Cosby, who did not appear in person at the trial, denied the allegation. In a video of a deposition shown to jurors, Cosby said he did not remember Huth. He said the incident could not have happened. His reason was that he would not have pursued sexual contact with someone who was under the age of 18. Cosby's attorney, Jennifer Bonjean, challenged Huth's account throughout the trial. When the lawsuit was filed in December 2014, Huth said the incident occurred in 1974 when she was 15. She told jurors she recently concluded that she had been mistaken about the year. She now believes it happened in 1975. Huth is now 64. The civil trial in California took place 11 months after Cosby was freed from prison. Cosby, now 84, was best known for his role in the 1980s television comedy series The Cosby Show. However, he is now more commonly known for sexual assault. His identity shifted after over 50 women accused him of sexual assault over nearly five decades. Daniel Hall, NTD News, California. And staying in California, parts of the state got a bit of relief from a sweltering heat wave that welcomed in summer. An out-of-character monsoonal thunderstorm hit the southern part of the state. NTD's Cynthia Kai has what Mother Nature had in store for the Golden State. Roaring booms of thunder and streaks of light cut across the Southern California sky in the early morning hours on Wednesday. Residents who were awake before sunrise captured the wild weather on video. Some of the hardest hit areas were the high desert, the San Gabriel Valley, and the foothill areas. One person wrote on Twitter, the first hit of thunder caught me off guard, it sounded like a nuke. My whole building was shaking. The National Weather Service said the threat of dry lightning is low, meaning there is a low chance of wildfires breaking out as a result. But the first monsoonal activity of the summer is expected to pass by the weekend, making way for something Southern Californians are more familiar with, dry heat. And dry heat was exactly what Northern Californians experienced a day earlier. Almost 35 million people were under heat advisories on Tuesday as a heat wave pushed temperatures into the triple digits. According to the National Weather Service, Sacramento recorded a high of 106 degrees. Parts of the Central Valley reached 104 degrees. In the Bay Area, temperatures peaked at 102 in certain cities. Even San Francisco, known for its fog and cool weather, hit 90 degrees on Tuesday. Weather forecasters say dry lightning and thunderstorms are highly unlikely, but a weather shift will likely lead to a slight drop in temperatures over the weekend. Dry lightning is of concern in summer as it can spark wildfires. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. FINA, the world swimming's governing body, has adopted a new gender inclusion policy. It effectively bars any male who identifies as female from competing in female competitions unless they've transitioned before the age of 12. Some critics have called it unfair for transgender athletes, but others point out that men and women are physically different and for fairness purposes need separate competitions. I talked to Doreen Denny, senior advisor at Concerned Women for America. She says it was important that FINA at least recognize that sex matters in sports. Where it gets confused, and as you mentioned, is this idea that somehow a man can become a woman, a boy can become a girl, and that if we just suppress their puberty, somehow they magically become the opposite sex. They don't. Denny, who held a White House office position in policy development under George H.W. Bush, points out that biological differences between men and women start in the womb 
and that waiting until age 12 isn't enough. Those differences, whether it's heart size, lung capacity, the size of limbs and hands, you know, we don't have to wait for age 12 and puberty to kick in for those differences to be understood. So they really fell short in that respect um, to not go far enough and, and to, to make sure that in all cases, uh, even young girls would, would be um, in a situation not only of fairness, but of, in, of encouragement. Denny, though, acknowledges how important it was for FEMA to enact this policy because it challenges the NCAA, which allowed transgender Leah Thomas to win female competitions, as well as USA Swimming's testosterone-based policy. I think for that purpose, this is an important moment, and we ought to be looking at other sports that are also moving in this direction and learn something from FINA, which was to actually get to the scientific fact that male and female bodies are different, and that's the thing that we need to focus on. FINA's new policy went into effect this past Monday. On the ice tonight, Game 4 of the Stanley Cup Finals with the Avalanche leading the two-time defending champion Lightning two games to one. Tampa Bay won last time out 6-2 to get back in the series. The Lightning are expected to have forward Nikita Kucherov available tonight, but will be without forward Braden Point. Kucherov left Game 3 after being pushed into the boards by Colorado defenseman Devon Taves. Point, meanwhile, suffered a lower body injury in the first round against Toronto, which shelved him for a month before he returned to play in Games 1 and 2. Meanwhile, Colorado's goalie situation is unclear after starter Darcy Kemper was pulled in Game 3 in favor of Pavel Frensos. Frensos has started four games this postseason in place of an injured Kemper, and the two have put up similar numbers. Elsewhere in the NHL, Toronto star forward Austin Matthews has won the Hart Trophy as the NHL's MVP. Matthews led the league with 60 goals and scored 106 points overall, a career high. The 24-year-old edged out Edmonton's Connor McDavid and New York's Igor Shesterkin for the award. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And breaking news in the NFL, former player and commentator Tony Siragusa has passed away at the age of 55. Known simply as Goose, the mammoth's 6'3", 330-pound defensive tackle played a dozen seasons for the Colts and the Ravens. A run-stuffing specialist on the field, Goose was also well-liked for his big personality off the field, often playing practical jokes on teammates. Saragossa played a huge part in helping the Ravens win the Super Bowl in 2000. After retiring, he was a sideline analyst for Fox Sports from 2003 to 2015. The cause of his death wasn't immediately available. And coming up, in parts of China, residents are lining up at 2 a.m. in the morning in order to withdraw cash from the bank. But even then, it's not guaranteed that they'll get their money. And Ukraine conducts secret rescue missions in the besieged city of Mariupol. Many Ukrainian soldiers have been trapped there with supplies running low. Find out more in just a moment here on NTD News. NTD's Capital Report. It's about getting answers. Cutting through the fog of politics. It's about your questions and our chances to ask. What is the net impact of the American Carson Graves? Thank you for joining us. We're speaking to those in power to find out what does this mean for the people. We're here so you are in the know. After curbs on bank deposits and withdrawals started in China's Henan and Anhui provinces, several other cities have found themselves in similar situations. Let's take a look at what's been happening in recent days. In southeastern China, large crowds of people have been seen lining up outside a branch of the Dondong City Bank. They're all waiting for their turn to withdraw money. Other branches of the bank are seeing similarly long lines. One worker wearing protective gear was seen checking bank customer IDs and trying to maintain order in the crowd. Some of those in line said they arrived before the bank opened, waited until the afternoon, but still couldn't get their money. 
Another bank in Dongdong called Dongdong Rural Commercial Bank is facing the same issue. Locals say it's been the same way for over a week. Over in Shanghai, limits have been placed on bank withdrawals in the name of COVID-19 control. The curbs mainly apply to seniors looking to withdraw their pensions. What's more, banks there would issue a certain number of tickets per day to limit the number of people who are serviced. Shanghai Bank. Now 300 ticket numbers are issued every morning, and there are no more after that. Reports say some seniors had to line up at 2 in the morning in order to get a ticket, and that some of those who arrived at 5 a.m. weren't able to get in. What's worse, getting a ticket still doesn't guarantee being able to make a withdrawal. Last month in Huainan and Anhui provinces, nearly 3,000 people were unable to withdraw money from their banks. And in France, President Emmanuel Macron met with leaders of opposition groups his party will have to face in parliament. After losing his majority, the French president is set to enter into likely messy negotiations on every single bill. NTD's France correspondent David Vives met with a legal expert who says the power isn't in the president's hands anymore, a situation that modern France has never seen before. Macron, whether you like it or not, here we come. A song often heard during protests in France, newly elected left-wing lawmakers chanted it when entering parliament. It might be a sign of things French President Macron has to face during the next five years. After losing control of the National Assembly, the president will need to form alliances if he hopes to pass his bills. And until now, opposition parties have rejected any form of a coalition with his allies. We are protecting the interests of France and the French. Every bill that serves the interests of France and the French we will vote for. Everything that can be improved we will amend, and everything we find toxic or harmful we will oppose. With 89 seats, the National Rally Party has managed to secure its largest ever contingent of lawmakers and has become leader of the opposition in parliament. Policy analyst Pierre Gentillet says the outcome of the parliamentary elections will give new legitimacy to the party. The national rally might be able to strengthen its troops and professionalize its troops. 89 parliamentarians means several hundred parliamentary attaches and technical advisors. It means millions, maybe more than 10 million euros of subsidies. So the loan to the Czech bank that became Russian will be repaid very quickly. So it's a spectacular, spectacular recovery for this party. Following the electoral defeat, Prime Minister Elisabeth Bonn handed in her resignation on Tuesday, but Macron rejected it. Government spokesperson Olivia Grégoire said that a cabinet reshuffle will be conducted in due time. Left-wing lawmakers then called for the Prime Minister to be subject to a vote of confidence. Madame Bourne submitted her resignation, which I find quite normal, but the president rejected it. So now we think the prime minister should be subject to a vote of confidence in parliament. Without coalition pacts, Macron is looking at the prospect of having to enter into likely messy negotiations on every single bill. There will be many battles. The heart of power is now here. And Macron's majority is very relative. So when his group arrives in the assembly to vote, it will arrive with all its strength. And the opposition will have to arrive with all its strength too. He says the outcome of the elections was a historical shift. This is unprecedented in the Fifth Republic. It is a novelty that will stimulate a lot of attention among law students and professors of constitutional law. The heart of political power is now located at the level of parliament. Traditionally, the parliament was the reflection of the will of the president of the republic, who impels and dictates to the National Assembly. On Wednesday night, the president is set to address the nation on the political situation. David Vives, NTD News, Paris. Ukrainian forces are conducting a series of secret, high-risk helicopter missions to reach soldiers who are besieged in the city of Mariupol. Troops on the mission have to confront Russia's dominance in the sky. Let's take a look. The Ukrainian military is trying to deliver supplies and evacuate wounded soldiers from the besieged Azovstal steel mill in the coastal city of Mariupol. 
Russian troops currently surround the plant, and Ukrainian troops were pinned down for weeks with supplies running low. It was necessary to show by this example that such flights are possible to those guys who flew later, to those pilots who flew, to demonstrate and show that it is possible, that this is not fantasy. Naturally, when we first landed on the territory of the Avastal plant, the guys who shipped the ammunition and the guys we loaded said the following phrase, I don't know where you came from, but you flew to us from the sky. You seem to have descended from the sky. One of the Ukrainian soldiers evacuated through the mission is a 20-year-old who suffered serious injuries in the first month of the war. His left leg had to be amputated above the knee. So my left leg was broken, my right foot was pierced, and I found out just a week ago that I had shrapnel in my body. I didn't even know that there was shrapnel. It looks like I got it in the back. And my friend could no longer pull me and shouted that I must crawl. The helicopter flights are extremely risky. Sometimes they have to fly just 10 feet above the ground to escape Russian fire. One of the helicopters on the mission never made it back and is considered missing. Russian troops absolutely controlled the sky and aviation, both planes and helicopters. They constantly bombarded our guys who were at the Azovstal plant. And that is why the FIM-92 Stinger systems that we brought in were critically essential to hit air targets that came to bombard Azovstal. They also needed NLAWs and FGM-148 Javelin systems because the enemy's armed vehicles also, in principle, dominated. Russian forces tightened their grip on Mariupol in mid-April. The city is home to a strategic port on the Sea of Azov. Coming up, the Glastonbury Festival returns to the UK after three years, but revelers are going to have to battle with the rail strike and expected bad weather. And meet the 20-month-old boy who's brightening up Instagram and bringing a smile to people's faces with his hair that's uncombable. Stay tuned for more when we come back. The world-famous Glastonbury Festival has finally returned after three years. This year is also its 50th anniversary. Hundreds of festival goers queued for the official opening this morning, but attendees have to face transport disruptions caused by the biggest rail strike in 30 years. NTD's Joy Duguid has more. The gates to the Glastonbury Festival have been officially opened on Wednesday morning by the event's founder, Michael Evis. The largest greenfield music festival in the world is returning for its 50th anniversary after a three-year hiatus due to the pandemic. Shortly before the gates officially opened, hundreds of Glastonbury attendees had already been queuing for hours with their bags, and some said they arrived at the site in the early hours of the morning. Glastonbury's massive, it's got a culture and, and everyone's so stoked to be here, it's hard to get tickets, so everyone's like, yeah, everyone's really happy and friendly and it's just a great vibe. Glastonbury is, for the last sort of seven years, has just been our thing. Like, me and my wife came first, and then we brought a few friends along, brought a few more, and now there's sort of like 12 of us come and come together and... It generally is just the best place on earth. The festival runs until Sunday with headliners including Paul McCartney and Diana Ross. Eight-year-old Sir Paul will become the music festival's oldest ever solo headliner when he takes to the stage on Saturday night. Like, yeah. whatever your music tastes, even if you're not into listening yeah. to music in the day, there's just so much to do. Like, you just can't, you can't be bored. There's just so much to do, and like when you see your favourite acts at like the other stage or the pyramid stage, it's amazing. Amazing. More than 200,000 people are expected to travel to the festival site at Worthy Farm in southwest England. Ahead of the five-day event, the Met Office said this year's weather outlook promises to be one of two halves. Temperatures could reach 27 degrees Celsius at the 900-acre site, nine degrees higher than usual in the lead-up to the world-famous event. However, the mud, synonymous with Glastonbury, is still set to make an appearance, with showers and thunderstorms predicted from Friday onwards. 
For Glastonbury fans, their biggest disruption might be the transport. The event coincides with three days of planned major rail strikes over rail workers' pay. Just 60% of trains run across Wednesday, with walkouts planned for Thursday and Saturday. Joy Dugid, NTD News. And now, the story of a 20-month-old boy who has a rare hair condition that makes his hair stand up and uncombable. He's definitely turning a lot of heads and possibly warming hearts wherever he goes. Let's see more. Bye-bye. This is Lachlan. He has the look of a rock star and is from a hair condition called uncombable hair syndrome. Turns out Lachlan is one in 100 who has this extremely rare hair condition. But another name is actually called spun glass hair, which a lot of the parents in the uncombable hair world prefer that. Can we touch his hair? That's like the number one question we get. People want to know how it feels. It's incredibly soft. So he was born with black straight hair, just like his older brother, and his newborn hair fell out and his new hair started coming in around six months old. Um, and we just thought it was like this cute little peach fuzz, thought it might be curly. When, <laughs> when we first got his diagnosis or found out it might be what he had, Instagram was the first place I went to looking for information and for answers. So I wanted to be a source of information for other parents who might end up in the same boat. My husband came up with the Instagram name, Uncombable Locks with his hair, or with his name being Lachlan. We the best messages we get and the best comments we get are um, people that are like, my day was gloomy until I saw Locke on my feed or I checked Lachlan's Instagram to bring me a smile. And the fact that he has the power to turn someone's day around or you know bring somebody a smile with the way the world is now, um, being not even two years old and having that impact, I think is pretty special. The only comments that really I don't like are the ones that just say like to cut it off or um, I'm so sorry he has hair like that because we're not sorry about it at all. We love it and embrace it. Um, we want him to embrace it as well uh, as he gets older. So. Just our biggest thing is em embrace what makes you you and don't try to be anybody else. Um, that's, that's what we want to teach our kids. That's what we, what we want to teach Locke. And, um, just to remember to lead with kindness. However, there isn't a cure for the condition, although it may grow out during puberty. Say, have a good day. But for now, they just let it grow up. Gorgeous. Well, that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.